0: They're so good, they make us want to sing, like...
1: I can't believe it. Burger King made a grill, with 100% made flame anytime you want.
0: This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the Dollar Grill Dog deal and get a classic grill dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio, I'm Daniel LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is another one of the division capsules that I've been doing, combination off-season interview and season preview, and this one is the Atlantic Division, and it's with Devin Carperdian, who writes for The Brooklyn Game, and Jared Weiss, who is with... CLNS Radio and Celtics Blog in Boston. It was really fun to have them on because they each know the division as a whole really well and, of course, know the NBA really well. The conversation runs for about half an hour. We hit both the major moves of the offseason on and off the court because there were some interesting coach things. We talk about Derek Fisher and Lionel Hollins and all of that along with all of the personnel things. And then we get into a preview of the season to come. And so hit on the big notes there how many teams are going to make the playoffs, the order of the teams, and all that kind of stuff conversation runs about a half an hour, and I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you guys so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having us. Yeah,
0: of no problem. So we're talking about the Atlantic Division, and it's pretty basic, but on the offseason in review, who do you think got better in this division, and who do you think got worse?
1: Uh, Toronto got better just by not getting worse, right? I mean, every other team pretty much uh, plateaued or got a little bit worse. I, I, I really like what Philadelphia is trying to do. And there was that kind of brief period where we thought Anthony Bennett was going there, where I was doing backflips over Sam Hinkie being the Second Coming of the Messiah. But they're, they're still—I mean, Philadelphia is still in good shape long term because I guess they have owners that really are happy to just be terrible for as long as they need to be, so that they can put together an unbelievable roster down the line. And when you have—I think—I feel that if Alexi Fed is your third best addition in the off season, that's a pretty good off season. But I'm just, I'm just biased to it, like she's fed because of his goatee. <laughs> uh,
2: I actually think that, I mean, outside of the case of Philadelphia, which I think their general plan is to get worse until they get great, I think you could make a decent argument that every team in the United Division got a little bit better. And by that, then, you know, the average of a few guys didn't do as well. I think you could say that the Knicks had a couple of nice moves by picking up uh, I think they're big they're the really nice move that I like was picking out Calderon. I think Derek Fisher can be a very good coach. The Nets are going back to a style that won them forty nine games a couple of years ago. The Raptors, like you said, Jared, they got better just in the sense that they you know got a year older and they're still young enough that that's a good thing. So I think like there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of improvement across the board in the Atlantic Division now whether that's going to translate to more wins for these teams because they're all still competing against each other, I don't know about that. But I think the division got stronger, except for the Sixers, who are trying to get weaker. So kind of everyone had a decent off season.
0: Yeah, I think the Sixers got better just by the virtue of have adding Noel. But that's a little bit weird to put in as getting better, that you kept the same guy. He just probably will play more. So that's a, that's an interesting factor with them. Devin, I was interested in terms of the overall Nets offseason. Obviously, the loss of Paul Pierce is substantial there, but you talked about how this team is going to play more similarly to how they played before. What is your vision for how this team turns out?
2: Well, I mean, this, the, the Nets, I think, are the hardest team in the Eastern Conference to project, and I'm not just saying that as somebody who follows this team. It's just that I think their ceiling is a lot higher than what they'll end up being, and their floor is also a lot worse than that because everything depends on the health of their biggest guys. I mean, Darren Williams, you know, had two ankle surgeries two weeks after the season ended. Brooke Lopez hasn't played since December because of his foot problems. You know, if either of those guys goes down, their entire landscape changes. But if either of those guys are at a peak level, you're talking about a team that could easily, easily win this division. Um, I think Lionel Hollins is a really good addition with this roster. I think he could do really good things with Brooke. I think he's a good motivator, which is something that Darren needs. Uh, I think he's an upgrade over Jason Kidd. I don't think they're the favorites to win the division, but I think they're in a position where if they have all of their core guys for, you know, 70, 75 games and, uh, and you know, they can utilize, and, you know, a couple of their bench guys pan out, this could be a really, really good team.
1: And especially the, the rule, I think it's a new rule now that every year a Plumlee grows older, it gets better. So having, <laughs> just having him there uh, in his second year, you see what his brother did uh, in Phoenix in the second season. I'm I'm really excited just to see what Plumlee did, especially being you know joining the USA team and getting such a high profile look that early in his career. That must be huge for him, uh, confidence wise. And he's he's one of the guys in the division. I'm really excited to see what they're gonna do.
2: You have to legally refer to him as USA gold medalist Mason Plumlee from here. I'm sorry. Out. Keep I... that in mind, Jared. <laughs>
0: as long as we don't say that it's a World Cup gold medal, because that just sounds weird.
2: Yeah, it's a little off. I mean, look, not a lot of guys even watch the World Cup this year. I mean, I was talking to some reporters who were just like, I didn't watch a single minute of it. And these are guys who would cover, you know, the teams of player that the players are on it was weird because i mean i know that people were talking about i know that the, that the usa didn't face spain and spain was supposed to be their biggest issue but i don't know it just seemed to me like it was entirely too easy for the u.s but that's a different conversation that's a different podcast
0: yeah <laughs> uh yeah i think that uh, but on the note of what we can take away from it i think that it was strange to me to see it where so much of the second halves of games were garbage time, and so for as somebody who covers the Warriors, trying to figure out what Clay Thompson was his role and everything, I mean, he had some great first halves too, but it's hard to figure out what you take away from something that has different rules and different surrounding talent than the NBA, even compared to something like Summer League, where at least the rules are the same.
1: I, mean, I, I just looked at the World Cup as Derrick Rose's preseason, basically. That was the main interest for me. I was one of those guys that barely even watched the Cup, it was mostly I'd watch a little bit of the first quarter, a little bit of the second quarter. It's fun to see a lot of these international teams. It's just fun to see Boris Diaw being the best player on the court sometimes. You know that's that's one of the best parts of basketball. But uh, it, it Blatch
2: was, too. Yeah.
1: Oh God, I mean, Andre Blatch <laughs> on the Philippines is basically Michael Jordan anywhere else. Uh, but oh, it, cool. that was that was fun, and I enjoyed like those small moments where that you get to enjoy throughout the tournament, but. Even as being a basketball junkie, I just I wasn't really drawn in enough to want to sit down and watch every single game and break down Lithuania's pick-and-roll and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't quite grab me this time.
0: We'll move on to best newcomer, and sadly, it doesn't look like it'll be Andre Blatch to the Celtics, though as much as fun as that would be. Who do you think is going to be the best newcomer to their team this year?
1: So for me, he's not a newcomer to the division, but he will be to the court, and that's Nerland's Noel because he was just so much fun to watch. In the summer league. I mean, this guy's game is just so it's 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 so intriguing. He's just like Anthony Davis. He's this almost unprecedented seven footer that can move like a small forward. But he's got the height. He's got the athleticism. I mean, he's those are two guys that there's been very few players that have ever come out that have the same kind of physical traits that they have. Jonathan Bender is one that really reminds me of those guys, but he never was healthy. Kevin Durant I guess is pretty similar but they're they're even bigger than Kevin Durant is but Noel there's just everything is in place for him that if he can develop a really good skill set and become a really smart player he can I mean he can be an absolute all NBA player the way that Anthony Davis is turning into and while he isn't there on the skill set level yet the way that Davis is he has all the physical traits to be able to do it and in fact I think he's even more powerful than Davis so he'll be a little bit different but they're generally very similar players but Maybe it's just because he's from Everett, which is pretty close to where I'm from, out in the Boston area, and I've been following Noel since he was about a junior maybe even a sophomore in high school. But he's, he's just such a spectacular player to watch, and he's going to be on a team where he basically can kind of do whatever he wants. So we're going to get to see him kind of the way to, when the, DeMarcus Cousins was young and Anthony Davis in the same fashion, where those guys were so – they were really young and they were on a really bad team, so they basically had the free range to do whatever they want. So we're going to get a lot of really cool highlights from him. We're going to get a lot of really cool game reels where you're going to you're going to go on to Synergy or League Pass and you're going to watch for 10 minutes and see him do all these really fascinating things all over the court because he just seems like that guy that has the KG-type physical factor where you're going to see him defending on the perimeter. You're going to see him under the brim. You're going to see him shooting from 18 feet out. You're going to see him doing all sorts of crazy stuff on the baseline. I mean, Noel's going to be this really, really exciting player, and hopefully he stays healthy and hopefully he continues to mature and get a better skill set. And he's the guy that I'm the most excited to see this year.
2: I'm with Jared on, uh, on Noel. I think he's one of the most uh, exciting talents to, to come in the Atlantic Division. But in the interest of not repeating uh, what he said, I actually, I'm actually i also very interested in both of the New York coaches. I know we talked a little about them earlier, but I think watching Derek Fisher try to handle the pressure of New York media a year after Jason Kidd tried to do the same thing. Also handling, you know, Carmelo Anthony, trying to figure out how to instill whether it's the triangle offense or some, you know, different version of the triangle offense or something else that he can come up with. That's going to be incredibly interesting to watch. I think Hollins, again, has a really, really interesting job in in Brooklyn trying to figure out how to best maximize Brooke Lopez, how to manage Kevin Garnett, you know, how to if Darren Williams and Joe Johnson can be Brooklyn's backcourt in the way they were supposed to be two years ago. Um, so I, I'm really, I mean, I'm going to be watching Hollins very closely all season because that's the team that I, that I pay attention to. But I think that watching those two guys over the course of the year, particularly because the Knicks just seem to just attract media attention in a way that no other team can for, you know, a million different reasons. I think watching how those two guys evolve in their respective coach positions, that's the thing that I'm going to be keen on a lot this year.
0: Yeah, the other guy that I would add in is Calderon. I think that we're going to see a Knicks team in combination with Fisher. We're going to see a Knicks team that is substantially different than what we saw the last couple of years, and Calderon's a big part of that. And I I want to see Melo play with a great point guard again. I think that's going to be fun to see. He's done it before. This isn't the first time, but to see him do it again should be exciting.
2: People don't understand how big an advantage or an upgrade Calderon is. He's legitimately a a crazy point guard to have on your team if you're not looking like you already have a guy in Carmelo who can score Calderon's the guy you want next to him like that is a great fit for that and, and if it pans out well and if Fisher can set up that offense in a way that maximizes Carmelo's skill which I think he can that's a really really good addition
0: okay so we'll move on to the rookie that you are most excited to see I think it's more fair to do that as opposed to who you think is going to be the best because we don't know about playing time so it's just who you're most excited to see play in the NBA.
1: Sucks because yeah I don't think to watch him play, but just watching him on the bench is enough. It's just Joel Embiid. He is already the most fun guy in all of the entire NBA. He's kills it on Twitter. Even Rihanna's falling fallen in love with him right now. I mean everybody loves Joel Embiid. Uh, so we're probably not gonna get to see him. But he's I think that watching him on Twitter, as much as I do like Marcus Smart, he's a guy that I'm gonna be covering. I think watching Joel Embiid's Twitter game is more exciting than watching Marcus Smart's basketball game.
2: Uh, yeah, I, um, I I also, I mean, Embiid is hilarious. He's a really funny guy. And uh, I think that if he can figure out his courtship with Rihanna, that'll be the biggest story of the year. But I, I it's, if we're talking on the basketball court, you mentioned Marcus Smart. I'm very excited to watch Marcus Smart. I think he's incredibly talented. Um, I don't know exactly how he's going to fit uh, with Rondo in that backcourt. It's going to be, you know, not perfect particularly. I mean, Rondo, if he stays with the whole year. So it's good. There's going to be some growing pains, but he's he's a bull. He, he can – he can really, really score and really get to the basket. And to bring it back to to the Nets, I'm also really excited to see Blankanovic. He's finally come over after about the Nets drafting about three years ago. He dropped, I think, 27 points in uh, in their Croatian first-round loss. He's a dead-eye scorer. He, does, he has no fear, can score from anywhere on the court. He's, he might not even start, but just watching him finally, you know, after seeing him kind of dominate EuroLeague the last few years in a bunch of different ways. Just seeing him on the NBA level, I've been waiting for that, and I'm glad it's finally here.
0: Yeah, my guy has already been mentioned, but is a is another guy who was technically in the NBA last year, but that's an OL because he's technically a rookie. So that's pretty, But Bogdanovich, I, I would be interested to see if they're going to use him as the scoring anchor for the second unit because that could be a really good role for him that's closer to what he's done previously as opposed to being the fourth or fifth option with Joe Johnson and everybody else.
2: That's my guess. I mean, I think at this point, and this is somewhat speculative on my part, but I think the job is Andre Kirilenko's to lose. Kirilenko's healthy. I think he's going to be starting uh, next to Garnett and Lopez. And then Bogdanovich will be kind of a scorer off the bench. Now, I don't think you can have him as your only facilitator in there. He's not that good with double teams. But if you have him next to you know, Jair Jack and Allen Anderson, two guys who can handle the ball in that backcourt, just take a li- enough attention so that he's not the only scorer on the floor. He could really do a lot of damage against him in second year.
1: Yeah, especially considering how erratic of a player Jared Jack is, it's going to take a lot of uh, attention away from Bogdanovich. So he's going to have a lot more freedom if he's playing next to a guy like that. He doesn't have primary ball handling responsibility.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Are there any other transactions that happened in the Atlantic Division that we want to talk about before we move on to the season preview?
1: Well, yeah, Jason Kidd got kicked out of town. That was a pretty monumental occasion there. I mean, it's been a crazy off. It's been a crazy summer just in all sports, really, but especially in basketball. Uh, but to see the way that that guy shot, that got himself shot out of town, I guess. I mean, that it's pretty rare to see something like that happen in recent memory. am really having trouble thinking of anything. Really like that guy. Just basically, to the door when he tried to steal someone else's job, uh, and he's paying the price for it. mean he's going to Milwaukee, although they definitely do have a little bit more promise now after coming out with Jabari Parker and seeing how Giannis Antetokounmpo. However, you say his last name is about seven, one by now. Uh, he probably just threw another inch while we're recording this show. But I, I actually thought it worked out great for Brooklyn. I like Lionel Hollins better than I like Jason Kidd as a coach. I think Hollins is a good guy. For this team, for the roster, it out pretty well for them. I think probably the guy to get Darren Leeds back to where Williams was supposed to be with this team coming into the season last year. It worked out pretty well for all sides involved except for Jason Kidd.
2: Well, I think it kind of worked out for Jason in one way. He's making twice as much money in Milwaukee as he did in Brooklyn, which is yeah, you know, very true. Yeah, happy for him. I think Jason, Jason, by the end of the year, I think he actually done some pretty good coaching. He done pretty well setting up, you know, different lineups and willing to experiment with different things. You um, never really got the sense that he had full control of of the roster just because it kind of seemed like he was more of a player in a suit rather than the head coach at some point. And I think that that was also instrumental to why Lawrence Frank was kicked off the bench after about a month or so because it seemed like he was the one running everything. It's insane how quickly all that happened, and it's incredible how how, you know, one day you could think Jason Kidd was going to be the coach for 20 years, and the next day he's gone. I mean, you know, this, the players said the same thing. It just caught him all by surprise. And, yeah, but also by, but but getting to your point about Hollins, I think Hollins can be a great, great coach for this team. He's no nonsense. He has a pedigree. People know who he is. He, you know, he was an NBA point guard for, for 10 years. Uh, you know, he's he's the kind of guy, I think, who can really, if Darren Ways is healthy and Hollins is getting in his head, I think, Darren Williams is the kind of guy that can have a really, really good year under him. And one more transaction in uh, in the Atlantic Division we haven't talked about is that the Nets have finally gotten rid of the Brooklyn Knight after two years of just utter failure with that guy on the court. And they're not going to have a mascot this year at all. So kudos to the Nets for getting rid of a guy who tried to take the GM's job and getting rid of the worst mascot in professional sports.
0: Can we give them Pierre the Pelican, like the old Pierre the Pelican, and just just pretend that that's what, what they're doing going with now? Because that would they, be fun.
2: They did so good getting rid of terrible mascots. Do not force another one on them.
0: <laughs> I just want every team to have Pierre the Pelican. That, I, I think that's just fair. We'll, we'll give New Orleans back the Jazz name and just let everybody have
2: Pierre the Pelican. Do <laughs> little <laughs> rotation. That's, that's a good idea.
0: so we'll move on to the season preview and the most basic place to start how you would rank the teams one to five
2: Rank the Atlantic one to five I mean look there's I think that the general idea is that you put the Raptors first if only because they won last year and I would say that they got better two and three there's a little bit of mix between the Nets and Knicks I would put the Nets ahead of them because I think the Nets when healthy are better than the Knicks but I think there's more volatility with the Nets and that they could very easily fall behind them with one bad injury, which you, they're certainly susceptible to. Third, again, I put the Knicks. I think Calderon's a great addition. I think Anthony's great, but you, you've got to wonder about a bench that has Travis outlaw and Andrea Bargnani on the same roster Four, I think, I think four and five are also pretty set. I put, you know, the Celtics is four. I don't think Marcus Smart is going to take them up to playoff contention. I do think he's very good and I think he'll be a great guard in this league, but, I don't think they're there yet, and the Sixers are tanking their way to greatness, and they are dead last, and that's exactly what they want to be. So, I'm, I'm right there with your
1: order. I actually think there's a bigger difference space between the Nets and the Knicks. I mean, I'm looking at the Knicks and their interior defense, which is going to be Melo, Stoudemire, Argonne, Toliver, Jason Smith, Cole, things get really sad. I mean, that... That's a team that's just not going to be able to stop people once they get through outside defense. And Collarone's good. I Kim like him. Jerry Smith, I don't know if he does spell offense. And the jump uh, out there and Hardaway out there are pretty good. But it just seems like a team that's going to be carved apart pretty easily, especially by teams like Toronto and Brooklyn. Uh, I don't – the Knicks will probably have a pretty decent offense this year, but the defense is just going to be so bad that it's they're going to be basically playing catch-up in every single game this year. So I'm pretty low on the Knicks, but they're definitely a lot better than the Celtics, who they've got a few nice young pieces, but they're still a little ways away from being a team that can put together a 35-40 win season.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that this division more so than than actually any other of the ones that I've done so far has a pretty clear-cut ordering, though, as you guys have mentioned well, the ordering can change based on injuries and health and things like that, and... The other big question in terms of the season that I've been asking in all of these how many teams from this division do you think end up making the playoffs?
1: I think two. The, the Nets seem like they're going to grab one of those last seats there. I think they're so good enough to pull that off. But I think, I'm assuming Cleveland's probably going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, so you can add that into the there. Uh, I, just, I don't think the Knicks are playoffs. You don't think they really got any better than they did last year. And last year's team I didn't think was deserving of being a playoff team. So I I, just, I, just, I don't see them making it this year unless they probably make another move or if G.R. Smith and Gianni somehow refined whatever the heck they were doing. Uh, but it's just hard for me to see the Knicks making the playoffs. So I'm going to go with two right now.
2: Yeah, I'm also going to go with two. I think, like I said, I think after you get after the top four teams in the the East, which in my, in, I think most people's estimation are the Cavs, bulls wizards and raptors in some order i think there's a lot of you know anyone between five and ten that could that whole area is a total mess and it's probably going to be decided by only a few games i think the nets are one of those teams that's going to sneak in but again the issue with them is if, if brooke lopez has another foot injury or if darren williams has another ankle injury you know they could easily miss out on the playoffs and you know if one of those things happens and some other chips fall the next way they could probably sneak into a seventh or eighth seed so i think i would go probably with two teams maybe three if a lot of bad things happen to you know if, if the pacers fall off more than we think and the hawks aren't as good as some people seem to think they are i think there's a lot but there's a lot of like there's a lot of wiggle room in those last couple of spots but yeah i'm with you jared it's a prediction if you're asking to predict it, i'd go with two
0: yeah, I think two is the most likely outcome. I would actually say that one is probably more likely than three, just because in a, I think an injury also to the Raptors, let's say Kyle Lowry was hurt for an extended period of time, I think it would be hard for them to really establish themselves game after game, though I think they would still make it, they would still make it in, they would still claw, but that would be hard, and as you said, the Nets are very susceptible to that. With the Knicks, what do you, what do you guys think is their best case scenario for just this season?
1: I would say for this year, it's that Calderon somehow reignites all these great veterans that they have on their team that were great about three years ago. And they actually have really, really stunning offense. Amari Stoudemire is going pretty consistently, barking his shots again. J.R. Smith isn't out of his mindset to go. And, even Chumper kind of finds the form that he was in the second season, then that team can be pretty deadly offensively, at least in, the, uh, in the Atlantic Division, be the best team offensively in the Atlantic Division. It seems a little too far-fetched for that to happen, but it's certainly possible, and he's definitely a much, much, much better fit for that team than Ray Felton was. So I've always liked Calderon. I've always thought he was underrated. His, I mean, his efficiency numbers certainly show that he's significantly underrated. And he's one of those guys that you go, it goes out there and he's pretty steady and pretty reliable, he doesn't do anything remarkable. But I think he's kind of the guy that can keep this team together and be the glue for this team. And you combine that with Fisher being there, who can kind of get into his mind and really curtail the offense to fit with him and to work with Phil's uh, how, whatever kind of triangle they want to run there. It, it seems like their best, that Calderon is the guy for them. He's not going to be as great for them as, uh, as Tyson Chandler at full force would be for them. But he seems to be the guy that makes sense for what they need to do this year before they get all they have space.
2: Yeah, I think they're uh, they're top. I don't think they're winning that division unless, again, Lowry's probably the best guard in the Atlanta division. And I think that if if he goes down, then the Raptors season falls apart. But you can't really bank on that. So my guess is that if everything kind of holds as is, the Knicks, their ceiling would be second in the division, you know, a late playoff seed. Uh, you know, I do like the addition of Gallon I forgot to mention that earlier. I think he's a good big guy to have off the bench, specifically because, like you mentioned, their their defense in the starting lineup is atrocious. But, look, yeah, if Calderon can set up Melo and Amare and JR can, you know, shoot 23-foot three-pointers and not 29-foot three-pointers, they have a really good chance of being good. There's definitely some question marks. Uh, again, you have a team with Andre Bargnani and Travis Outlaw Off your bench, probably getting minutes, that's not a good thing. But, you know, I think they could very easily get second in the Atlantic behind the Raptors.
1: And one important thing with Calderon is that he actually can shoot the three ball very well and just just having just having one guy just to space out the court besides Anthony will be really crucial for them because frankly I don't think Bargioni's spacing was effective last year just because he was such a mess I don't I don't think teams really respected him like they did a couple years ago and that and the defenses were giving up a few extra feet to him so that they can keep the lane closed off and with having Calderon out there it's going to make that a little bit tougher especially if they run a ton of pick and roll
0: if there are any players that you think are going to break out from their current level of production or fame, whatever you want to do, just breakout candidates.
2: Um well I mean look, one breakout candidate, and again, I know this is this is kind of a an an odd way of looking at it, but I think Derek Fisher could have a really great year as a New York Knicks coach and succeeds. Now look, Jason Kidd was in the very same situation one year ago, um, had probably the worst first two months he could have possibly imagined, and still by the end came out to be a pretty good coach. If all these things happen to the Knicks that we're talking about, they call their own really sets up that offense well, um, somehow Amari plays some fraction of defense in a, in, in a way that allows him to score enough to beat other teams. Say they compete with the Raptors for the top season division. Derek Fisher is going to get a lot of that credit, and he's going to have a lot of stories in the New York mini that are very positive. Of course, if it goes the other way, you're going to have the exact same things that would happen to Jason Kidd in the first two months, where you have stories leaking from the organization about turmoil between him and and, uh, and Phil Jackson and turmoil between him and Carmelo Anthony. You know, if they start at a level like the Nets started last year, you know, the, the Nets are a high-profile team, but the Knicks are still the biggest team in this city by a long shot. So you're going to have a lot of attention on Derek Fisher on his first year as coach. So I think the the, the, the very high-risk, high-reward guy to look at is that coach. You got it, guys. Take care.
1: I guess the Terrence Ross would probably be a strong going to do it. In this division, I don't think the Atlantic Division really has any great breakout candidates, but he's the one guy that I think he's continued to get better. He's continued to be a more comprehensive and well-rounded scorer. He just he seems he seems like he's a guy that you know could at least go to another level, be a more complete offensive player, be more than just a really great transition guy. And he's it also he kind of has like the Vince Carter factor, where he just he's so exciting to watch and he makes so many great plays that his star factor is probably going to outweigh his actual talent level for a lot of his career. But he seems like he's good enough that he can actually catch up with his actual talent level to meet the star level that he's going to get. Because he's he's a sports center darling for the most part at this point. But I think especially in the second half last year, he really started to come around as a legitimate, good starting shooting guard. And the problem is he's sharing a lot of time with, Uh, with DeMar DeRozan, who is actually pretty similar players. And DeRozan's committed there long term, it looks like. So I I don't know if his future is going to be there. Uh, He might want to go somewhere else where he's not really playing next to a very similar player. But I'm assuming that Ross is going to have the motivation that he wants to showcase himself to the league because he's looking at the contracts that Chandler Parsons and Gordon Hayward just got. And he's saying, hey, I'm a swing man. If I can play some defense, I can shoot the ball from the outside. People are going to match me for the max." I got to go for that.
0: And he has the benefit of being on a winning team and we've seen guys that are even smaller parts of winning teams get overpaid because people say, "Hey, look at that, look at that team they were on." So that could be another factor as well in
1: his favor. Especially if they make the second round cuz like every round that you advance in the playoffs, you get like another 2 million a year. It's amazing. I mean, just just the value of winning a playoff series, it increases your value on the market so much. So I feel like Toronto is probably going to make it past the first round this year. depends what their matchup is, but I, they're probably going to be either the third or fourth seed, maybe even the second seed. So they ideal matchup and make it to the second round. So he's going to get a really good showcase this year.
0: And I like Devin's answer with Fisher because I've been thinking before we started about the idea that somebody in the New York area breaks out every year. just seems like that happens, <laughs> whether they deserve it or not. And, Considering almost every player on the Knicks has already been famous at some point in their career, and a lot of the Nets too, considering they're both older teams with established players that get paid like they're established players, Fisher's an interesting choice with that. I also think that this is a big proving year for Brick Lopez, because if he can provide some defensive value and really play a part in the Nets having a successful season, that could establish him as one of the one of those building block centers you know maybe even filling the gap that it seems like Roy Hibbert has fallen down of the young guy who he might not have it all together but you'd really like to have him on your team and for him the timing of that wouldn't it really couldn't be better if he can do it
1: well the thing is Brooke Lopez is one of these guys that he's been hurt enough in his career that You're kind of, you're ready to close a book on him if he has another serious injury. We're looking at that with Derrick Rose, where if he has one more, if he misses another year, you're going to basically put him in the Greg Oden, Andrew Bynum bag now, where you're not expecting him to play again. It's great if he does play again. And Lopez, he's been hurt so many times in his career that he's kind of, he's kind of in that category now. And I worry that because you look at him, you look at what he was doing before he got hurt. He was turning into an all NBA center. He was finally matching his brother and his ability near the rim, and he's always had great, great high-post skill and good low-post skill. And he kind of all put it together, and he was an unstoppable force, and he was the guy that was the centerpiece of that team that was going to be a really, really good title-contending team, and it all fell apart. That team just didn't... It couldn't really come to fruition. He gets hurt. They kind of adjust things. Kid figures it out, and they turn into a pretty decent team, but... There's no question that they would be a much better team with him healthy, with him playing the way that he was able to play. He's just one of those guys, even though he's 26 and he won't even turn 27 until the end of the season, he's just one of those guys that I'm looking at him as, if he sprains his ankle one more time and misses three weeks, I'm basically just kind of giving up on his career at that point, and everything else that you get is kind of just like icing on the cake.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. Thanks again for taking the time. You got it, guys. Take care.
1: Uh, Yeah, I can't wait to listen to it, man. It was great talking to you again.
0: Thanks again to Devin and Jared for taking the time to come on. You can read Devin Carperdian at the Brooklyn Game, which is thebrooklyngame.com. You can follow him on Twitter at UUORDS. And you can read Jared Weiss on Celtic's blog. He's also CLNS Radio and he hosts the Garden Report post game show. You can follow him on Twitter at CLNS underscore J A R E D W E I S S. Thank both of them for coming on. This week also had the Pacific Division Preview, which was with Jack Winter and Seth Partnow, and I really enjoyed that one as well, and I look to have a third one, actually. I recorded with Jared Weiss after Devin had to go, and we got this podcast, and we ended up going on this conversation about a series of other things, and it was really good, and we decided afterwards to make it into another podcast, so I have, to, I still have to edit that one. That'll be out hopefully later this week, maybe early next week, depending on when I get the time to put it all together. There are still two divisions left, and I hope to do those soon. It's the Southeast and the Northwest. Both had a lot of things happen. LeBron James left one division, Kevin Love left the other, among many, many other things. And on those two, I don't have a stable of guests particularly in mind, though I do have some people who have said they want to do episode and have that. So if you have any suggestions or you want to do it, let me know. You can email me at daniel.larue at realgm.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at danielarue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. That's an important part of this. I'm also going to start getting more into broad issues. I Right now, I'm thinking I'm not going to do any specific material on FIBA. It was interesting, and there was a lot that came out of it, but it didn't really have that sizzle that made me think, oh, I need to devote a podcast to this, so... If you have a real strong interest in that, I do have some people I could talk to you about it, so let me know if you do. But the plan right now is to stay more MBA, maybe do some college stuff. I'm hoping to have Dan Hanner on at some point soon. We could talk college hoops because his materials already started coming out. It's excellent material on Real GM. So thank you so much for listening. As I said before, your con- contributions are incredibly important, and they help make the show better. So this will be a fun little run. We have about a month until things really start picking up, and I'll hopefully go into some unusual, some different directions, You really use this month, and then when the season starts, we'll hit the ground running, and it'll be hopefully even stronger than it was last year, considering it a year ago at that time was the very beginning of this, and had just started hosting and editing so that has been a process so thank you so much for listening thank you for helping make this show what it is and hopefully thank you for contri- continuing your support going on to the future thanks take care and make it a great day